Hello, everyone, and either welcome or welcome back to the Gender Libertarian Podcast. If you do like this, please rate, comment, and subscribe. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and on my Patreon page where you do get early access. Link will be down in the show notes. This week has been one of the most exhausting weeks that I think I've ever covered in a news cycle. Hello, hi, special hello to everybody who's listening to this on a self-quarantine or because you were stuck at home with your kids because most schools are closed now with some certain notable exceptions. Looking at you, New York City. But yes, hello, thank you for making it through this past week, which seems like it has been about three months long. So obviously the biggest topic of the past week has been coronavirus and how things are finally starting to reach kind of a critical mass in the United States as far as people kind of, not everybody, obviously, and way too many people not taking this seriously yet, but a lot of people starting to really take this seriously and be like, okay, we need to start making some changes, implementing some behavior changes to try to flatten out the spread of coronavirus because shit is starting to get real. So let's kind of back up and start kind of at the beginning of this past week. And that was that there was news that at CPAC, there was somebody who tested positive for coronavirus. And this kicked off a whole news cycle where all of a sudden now, like, conservatives were now very concerned about coronavirus because obviously it was CPAC. There was a lot of important people there, including the president and the vice president, um, lots of other Republican figures, senators, Congress people, commentators. And so you had people like Ted Cruz self-quarantined, um, a couple other people self-quarantined that were there. And it seems that the person who was the patient zero did have contact with both Trump and Pence, be it briefly, but there was contact. And so it kind of started this somewhat of a little bit of a mini panic in conservatism, which kind of has snowballed throughout the week to more of a widespread panic about coronavirus. But it started off this other kind of nasty trend that I'm sure we're going to see more of going forward of people kind of pointing and laughing at people who had dismissed coronavirus, but now we're having to get tested and having to self-quarantine. And it's like, I mean, it's just, it's not a nice place to be people. Like if somebody was wrong about it before, if somebody dismissed it before and now they're taking it seriously, like I'm not going to slam that person. And I don't think that mocking people who are in that position of now having to worry about if they have it. And then obviously it is coming to light that you can be asymptomatic and still be a carrier of coronavirus and still be very contagious for days before you exhibit symptoms. So now you have to worry about, did I infect my spouse? Did I infect my kids? Did I infect my friends, my coworkers, my parents? Like, it's just, it's not funny guys. It's just not not a good thing, not a good place to be. And like I said, I'm sure there will still be more pointing and laughing in the future just due to who ends up having to get tested because this thing is just, this is going wide. And I still have a lot of hope, but this is something that is going to have to be dealt with because 
you're starting to see hot spots like New York City is a hot spot. Seattle's a hot spot. Um, you're starting to see more cases come out of California. I saw here in Georgia, we are now up to 99 confirmed cases. And so it is something that everybody is going to have to kind of start being aware of. And yeah, the the kind of responses have been mixed across the board. I mean, you have people who are now self-quarantining, be it because they think they might be sick or they're wanting to just do like the two weeks out of public just to see if we can kind of flatten out this curve and see if we can kill it off that way. Um, obviously, kids are out of school, so now that's going to create a new wrinkle for parents because now either they're going to have to be at home with their kids or figure out something to do with them. Um, Donald Trump finally got tested, though, after a whole week of fighting getting tested, which is just fucking absurd. Like, if you were somebody who is in a position and just strip away it being Donald Trump. Imagine there was a guy in his 70s who is of dubious health, who was known to be in contact with somebody who had coronavirus. That person can and should be able to get tested. We're not there yet, but considering Trump is president of the United States and can probably order testing on demand for anything he wants, I think it would have been a much better look and maybe would have helped people take this more seriously if he would have took that more seriously instead of doing this like very stubborn, I'm not getting tested, maybe I'll get tested. And then the same day he allegedly got tested, a uh, White House physician issued a letter saying why he didn't have to get tested. Like the whole thing was just completely stupid and muddled and just like the the smallest part of how this has been handled so so badly but it was a chance where Trump could have actually like been something of a good example for the public at large and set a good civic example as somebody who would be taking this seriously and getting himself tested just to make sure that you are healthy and that you should be self-quarantining until you get your results but no that didn't happen. And I'm starting to see, especially in people who are not self-quarantining and who aren't doing social distancing, kind of use this sort of government non-response as an excuse to just keep on living life as normal. And yikes. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the federal government response to this has been just absolute, absolute fucking garbage. And I talked about it in the last episode when I talked about how or people were trying to attack libertarians over what we would do in a pandemic. But yeah, this federal response is just, it's, it's horrible. And Trump's refusal to take any of this seriously and for everybody who either makes their living off of supporting him or is reliant on their job security to support him. Had to go along with this. And it's just like, this was a whole week of wasted messaging coming out of the White House. But moving on from messaging to things that the White House actually did do and did a horrible job of, um, instituted a travel ban from certain European countries. And let me try to walk you through this chronologically because this has been an absolute disaster too. On the 11th, Trump announced that starting 
on the 13th and going for 30 days past that, there would be a travel ban on 26 European countries. The initial travel ban did not include the United Kingdom. And so for a couple of days there, it was just the 26 countries did not include the UK. My obvious question was, why doesn't it include the UK? I mean, they have a coronavirus outbreak there too. And also, I mean, logistically, what would stop somebody from, say, taking off from Italy and then landing in Heathrow and then getting a flight from Heathrow to the US somewhere? Yeah. Anyway, eventually, after a couple days, I guess it finally dawned on somebody in the White House that these are like valid concerns and maybe we should include the United Kingdom. So now... Effective this coming Monday, the ban will now also include the United Kingdom. The main problem here is the messaging that happened at the initial onset of the travel ban, because he announced a press conference, he announced a travel ban. Um, There was a lot of confusion because it wasn't immediately made clear in that statement that this travel ban would not apply to U.S. citizens, legal permanent residents, or immediate family members of either one of those two categories. So you had people, U.S. citizens, legal permanent residents, and also people who, while stateside, like their kid may be overseas or their spouse or somebody, freaking the hell out thinking that, oh my God, I'm not going to be able to get back to the United States in this two-day time window. So you had people rushing the airports. I saw reports of people paying up to $20,000 to get flights back to the U.S. to try to make it back here in time for the travel ban. And then now that we've added on the United Kingdom, you're starting to see pictures coming out of, I've seen them out of O'Hare, I've seen them out of Dulles, I've seen them out of Dallas-Fort Worth, of just these insane, insane massive lines at U.S. airports because they're supposed to be instituting these health screening checkpoints, which don't seem to be screening for anything other than just asking people, where are you coming from? But the bigger problem is it's creating these bottlenecks where you have large groups of people who are obviously not social distancing, standing together in proximity with people who have actually been diagnosed with coronavirus for hours on end. Like, this is the exact opposite of what you want. We're not supposed to be standing next to each other right now. We're supposed to be standing a couple feet away from everybody at all times. And now you just have these massive crowds. And I mean, we're talking like crowds where it's taken between four to six hours to get through these Border Patrol security health checkpoint things to be able to get to baggage claim. And then of course you have this massive line at baggage claim because now you have to sit there and wait for your baggage to come back around again with a bunch of other people. It's just such a massive, massive clusterfuck. And it's, uh, it's, it's creating the exact opposite of the situation you want. Like you're making these large groups of people stand very close to each other when there's a highly contagious disease floating around. Like this is not what you want. And Say what you want about the travel ban. I am more concerned about controlling coronavirus in this country versus worrying about people bringing it in from the outside. Because like I said, we already have hotspots. We already have thousands of confirmed cases. I think, I forget what the death count is now in the United States, but we do have a couple hundred confirmed deaths at this point. So I'm a little more concerned about concentrating 
efforts within the United States versus creating these sort of mass panics of people trying to get back into the United States from foreign countries on a very, very short time frame. And it's just creating just chaos, just mass fucking chaos. Like there's a way to handle things like this and you have to do it in a very orderly, systematic way so that people can behave in an orderly, systematic way. I mean, you give people two days to comply with a travel ban, it's going to be nuts. It's going to be just bedlam at airports across Europe, at airports in the United States. You're creating these situations where you're going to have large crowds of people. It's just, it's, it's so counterproductive. And the screening that seems to be taking place, allegedly, is not, it's not screening. It's just, it's not. It's, there's just I'm seeing reports of people who have been through it or who have had family members go through this screening and they're like yeah it's it's nothing it's theater it's just there's there's not checking for anything so oh my god this this is this is so bad like I don't ever expect anything honestly to be all that great coming out of the Trump administration. But like I said, just this past week, this past week has been absolutely fucking horrific coming out of the White House as far as handling this in any kind of sane, rational fashion that might inspire any kind of confidence in anybody about anything related to the federal government. But we will get through that in a second because I feel like, I feel like the light bulb is turning on for some people, but we'll, we'll get there. Um, there's a couple other things I want to talk about before we get to more of the reactions from people from this past week. So where we're at right now, um, as far as guidelines of what we're supposed to be doing is obviously if you can self-quarantine, do so as much as humanly possible, um, limit the amount of time that you have to spend out in public. I mean, don't take unnecessary trips. Obviously, most of us are still expected to go to work. So obviously you have to go to work, but try to limit it to like work and the grocery store and just maybe home. You know, don't don't get crazy. Don't be out there just kind of floating around just for the sake of floating around. And then there's also the concept of social distancing, which it, it's not self-quarantine per se. It's the idea that if you have to go out in public, like you maintain kind of like space around yourself and each other. And it's not like, we're not doing crowded spaces right now. We're not, not going to concerts. We're not going to parties. We're not going to the bar. At least we're not supposed to. Some people are still stupid and are doing it. But yeah, just the idea that you kind of keep a little bit more of a bubble around yourself just to kind of keep from getting too close to complete strangers. But what is happening as far as government intervention is concerned, is we're starting to see sort of on the city slash county slash state level, um, governments dictating either how many people can be at a gathering or just straight up shutting down certain things. Um, I saw right before I started recording, uh, DC is limiting the amount of people who can be in a bar or a restaurant at any time. Um, They're shutting down nightclubs. A couple of other cities have done the same thing. You have a couple of cities who have instituted limits on how many people can be at a public gathering, whether it's like 500 people or a thousand people, like they're starting to cap that. In New York City, they have not really instituted any kind of hard caps like that, but basically it's 
you're supposed to take like your maximum capacity and cut it by half. And that's supposed to be the amount of people you're supposed to allow in your bar or in your club. Um, a lot of people are starting to cancel events. Um, South by Southwest was completely canceled for this year. Uh, Coachella was pushed back to October. Um, there's speculation that E3, which is supposed to happen in June, might either get pushed back or canceled. Um, at this point, the NBA, the NHL, and the NCAA basketball have all canceled the rest of the games this season, which means there is no NCAA basketball tournament. Um, obviously, there's not going to be an NBA or an NHL playoff this year. So Major League Baseball has canceled the remainder of spring training and at this point has pushed back their season opener two weeks. So you're having a lot of private entities making these decisions without any kind of government intervention, which is good. I mean, this is what you want. I don't want the government having to come in and make these sorts of top-down rules. I'm just not very comfortable with the, the direction that's going. I'm not a fan of government instituting lockdowns. I'm not a fan of them instituting curfews. But if people keep acting like jackasses, they're going to do it. And I'm going to be very, very mad at all of those people because just don't don't give the government a reason to step in and do this. Like, just act. Be, be responsible adults, for fuck's sake. Stop it. Just be responsible adults. But the reaction has been pretty, pretty fast over this past week, because like I said, that's that's a lot of cancellations in one week. And as far as I know, and the last statement I saw coming out of LP National is that the convention is still on for May. This all is subject to change, and this is all very much as of this recording, which is on March 15th at 4.30 in the afternoon. <laughs> I have to timestamp things now. That's how fast things are moving in that everything could change. But companies have already taken steps to do what they can to help with social distancing and quarantining. And I've gotten tons and tons and tons of emails, as I'm sure you guys have too, from businesses that you normally do business with giving updates on when they're going to be open. Um, I've seen Apple is planning on closing all of their stores outside of China for the next two weeks. Um, I've seen a couple of other emails from different companies who have said that they are closing down their retail stores for a couple of weeks and they are still paying their employees, which thank you for that companies. Cause this, this, this could end up being very, very bad. Even if we manage to keep things kind of good on the public health level, on an economic level, having to self-quarantine for two weeks or even longer if you get sick is going to be financially devastating to a lot of people. Most people cannot afford to go two weeks without a paycheck. So yeah, there's there's kind of a two-pronged thing here that we have to worry about as far as how you handle this from a public health perspective and also how you handle this from an economic perspective. And on the economic perspective side, um, I've seen rumors floated that there may possibly be a stimulus package at some point in the future. Um, I think anything right now would be entirely, entirely premature because honestly, I've seen estimates creep from 
the standard two weeks that we were originally kind of going with to begin with, with if you're doing like self-quarantine or if you think you're sick, you should stay home to anywhere up to six to eight weeks to anything possibly past that. Nobody is entirely sure how long we're going to have to ride this thing out. I mean, are we, nobody's quite sure. Is it, are we talking weeks? Are we talking months? Are we talking to the end of the year? Like we're not entirely sure on the time frame yet. So until we can get an idea of a time frame, I, I think any kind of stimulus package would be way, way, way premature. And I would just as soon not go down that road anyway, obviously for obvious reasons, <laughs> but that is something that's being floated around. But something that's not being floated, something that is concrete is that the house has put forth a package that is meant to address something and kind of doesn't and is full of plenty of other bullshit that has nothing to do with coronavirus. Now, ostensibly, this bill is meant to be a federal government response to the coronavirus outbreak. And to, to let me try to break this down because there's a way it's being presented and then there's the actual facts of what it is. Um, it is supposed to be mandatory seven-day sick pay for everybody. We'll get to that in a second. It's it's not, by the way. It's very much not. But it is supposed to mandate seven days of paid sick pay for everybody. Uh, free coronavirus testing, which there are some logistical problems with that. Um, expanding unemployment insurance eligibility. Um, various sort of reinforcement of different food programs for the elderly, for children, for women and children, you know, stuff like that. Um, there is also wording in there about boosting unemployment benefits for those who are unemployed. And obviously getting a job right now is um, not going to be the easiest thing in the world right now. <laughs> because in addition to the public health situation, like I said, we've got the economic situation and even bigger than the sort of individual economic situation. The markets have been all over the fucking place this week. I mean, the Dow Jones has just been doing the wildest swings based off of information coming out this week. And to be fair, there has been a lot of information put out this week. And I imagine it will be the same next week and the week after that as we start to kind of get a better grip on what it is we're dealing with here, what do we need to be doing, what is going to be the government response to it. There's there's just a lot up in the air. And of course, markets don't typically like that kind of thing. So it's been kind of wild and wacky and all over the place. But here's the thing about the mandatory sick pay. Two things. First off, in this bill, it does not mandate that the sick pay is only for coronavirus-related things or just until this coronavirus epidemic calms down, it would make that mandatory sick pay permanent. So, yeah. Kind of trying to sneak in a little something that Democrats have been trying to push for for a long time. And that, the the seven days, would be on your employer to pay. Here's the thing. This mandate does not apply to employers with under 50 employees or over 500 employees. So somebody crunched the numbers on this and figured out that this mandatory seven-day sick pay would only apply to about 20% of American workers. So, yeah, um, there were some carve-outs made. And the one for the under 50 employees, like, 
most times when Congress does these sorts of things, especially things related to like payroll taxes to sick pay, parental leave, stuff like that, they do make an exemption for companies with under 50 employees because that's that's kind of an unfair burden to put on that company. Typically, companies, small companies, even medium-sized companies don't have that kind of money just kind of hanging around to pay seven days of sick pay. Otherwise, they would. Like, I mean, it's just companies don't just not pay sick pay just because they're mean, awful, cruel people. It's just it. it's kind of part of working for a small company versus working for a big company. The over 500 employee carve out, though, that was done by request. <laughs> the Republicans requested that and Democrats apparently said, OK. And I was like, what? And to be fair, I have seen, like I said, a lot of companies who presumably have over 500 employees, I am presuming retail companies, who have already gone ahead and preemptively said that, yes, we're going to have our workers stay home, or at least our our front-facing workers stay home, and we're still going to pay them. And a lot of companies have moved to having their employees who work in more of like the office headquarters setting try to telecommute whenever possible to try to keep them at home. So companies are doing their part to try to mitigate coronavirus as best they can. But this, I don't, I don't understand who exactly this bill is supposed to help. And of course, Trump is already committed to on Twitter signing the damn thing. And I don't think, this, I know the Senate hasn't voted on it yet as of this recording. I don't know how much time they've really had to spend with it reading it. So, oh my God. It's, like I said, this has been, this whole week has just been a disaster on the federal government level. But back to the topic of sick pay, because there is an additional clause put into this particular bill as it stands right now, is that over and beyond the seven days of sick pay, you would be entitled to, and this is supposed to be just pertaining to when there is a public health emergency, not all the time, like the mandatory sick pay, you would be eligible for an additional 14 days of sick pay, but that would be paid out of the treasury. It would not be paid out of your employer. So basically that would be taxpayer money paying for people to have this additional 14 days of sick pay. Feel about that how you will. But that is what is mandated in the bill right now. I I mean, I don't, I just, you know, like I said, I don't expect a lot out of the federal government, but even the things they're trying to do, they're fucking up. But like I said, I, I don't really know what's going to happen with this bill. I don't. I I don't know. I mean, Trump's already said that he'll sign it, so I see it passing the Senate. I mean, I don't see enough Republicans voting against it for it to not pass the Senate, and it will get signed into law. So we will have forever, forever, and forever, everybody, allegedly, not everybody, only a very certain small amount of people, will have mandatory sick days for forever. Okay. <laughs> Never let a good tragedy go to waste. What can you say? So moving on in the week, um, finally on Friday afternoon, Donald Trump officially declared a national emergency related to the coronavirus outbreak. 
which of course necessitated another press conference. And you know how those always go with Donald Trump. Um, there, there is something that was said during the press conference that seems to be of dubious truth. And that is that Google is working on some kind of database for people to be able to put in their health information to find out if they do qualify for coronavirus testing slash treatment. And Google's basically been like, well, no, it's not us per se. It's another alphabet company. And we did not have any plans to roll this out nationwide. This is kind of a a trial run that we're just going to do in the Bay Area. But it was presented by Trump and then doubled down on by Pence as being something that is going to be nationwide, allegedly today. But obviously that is not happening. So again, that's another one. Feel about that how you will. I'm not super cool with giving Google my health information, but they probably already have it anyway, but still... And so, yeah, again, it's just, oh, yeah, it's been a mess. But the good part that came out of declaring this a national emergency is now this clears the way for public-private partnerships to expand testing capabilities, which glory, hallelujah, yes, please, can we get more testing? We need more testing. If you have any shot of minimizing the spread of coronavirus in this country, especially knowing that you can be asymptomatic and still be a carrier and still be contagious. We have to get testing. We have to figure out who has it. We have to figure out who doesn't have it. We have to start separating people based on that. More testing, please. Thank you. And it seems like since that has been announced on Friday, um, I think Seattle has started doing drive-through testing for coronavirus. Um, I know a couple of other cities are trying to set it up right now. Hopefully, now that we can start having public-private partnerships, we can get more expanded testing into places that are not hospitals. So we can also, also free up hospital space. And we can also just expand access to testing because that's been another huge problem is people who think they have coronavirus, seem to be presenting with the signs of coronavirus, but not meeting a specific criteria to get tested. And we had to have these criteria because testing was so limited. And so people were trying to save it for people who were symptomatic. But the problem is once you're symptomatic, I mean, it's it's good to know, but you've already been a carrier. You've already been out there spreading the infection. So yes, more testing, please, please, please. Hopefully in the next couple of weeks, we will all be able to get tested if we want to. And I still maintain that coronavirus testing should be available in a kit off of Amazon that you can order and do it in your own home. God, please, just more testing. We just, we need more testing if we want to have any shot of both minimizing this and also getting away from this sort of social distancing and quarantining and curfews and lockdowns. Like, I I hate it, but on the other hand, I don't see what else cities have as far as a remedy available to them because you can't test. So you just have to assume that, like, everybody has it. So it, it's such a catch-22, and I just, oh, I went on about this in the last episode, but just the market could have handled this so much easier. And if we had just, if the FDA had just stepped aside, even two weeks ago, 
and said, okay, private labs, you guys can do testing. We're going to approve you to do this testing and just would have opened it up. Like this could be, we could be in a completely different place today. Even if it was just two weeks ago, if it was three weeks ago, imagine if it was six weeks ago, imagine if it was in January that the market was able to test people. We would not be having this conversation. This shit would have been managed. And <laughs> actually on that topic, that brings me to kind of some of the reactions I'm starting to see come out of the interwebs and social media where you're kind of having people due to the events of this past week and the federal government's absolutely abysmal response you got people kind of revisiting federalism and thinking that, you know what, maybe the libertarians were right this whole time because every time we have ever brought up the fact that markets can handle things more efficiently than the government and that you can generally rely on people and businesses and communities to step up and do the right thing when stuff like this happens, when you have a pandemic, when you have a natural disaster, when you have a terrorist attack, when you have whatever that has negatively affected a community, you can actually rely on anybody from individuals up to state government level to effectively handle that situation in their particular area. And this past week has proven us right. And it also proves the argument that... This is the thing that libertarians have been warning about for ages and ages and ages is for everybody who wants a strong federal government, who wants that very top-down structure, our argument has always been, what happens when you have somebody incompetent running the show? This past week has shown what happens when you have somebody incompetent running the show. The federal government shits the bed, but everybody else has stepped up. And that's the way it should be. That's what federalism is. It's supposed to be a small, tiny federal government that just handles a couple of things and does them well enough. <laughs> and that everybody else handles everything else. And we have been mocked mercilessly for decades for advocating for this. But you know what, guys? We were right the whole time. And when we told people that, yeah... You can rely on other people to do the right thing. You can rely on companies to act somewhat in their own self-interest because obviously there are PR issues related to this. But also, I mean, companies want their employees to be safe. They want, I mean, obviously, like sporting venues want people that, that attend the venues to be safe. I mean, concerts want their concert goers to stay safe. I mean, it, it's it's... There is altruism there and there is kind of that refuting of this idea that corporations are these awful soulless beings that unless the government tells them to do the right thing, they won't do it. Well, guess what? They did. And people have done the right thing and businesses have stepped up to try to help in their communities and communities have come together to help each other. Yeah, maybe, maybe we're not so crazy after all. Maybe our little experiment would work. And uh, there's been people kind of coming around over the past week to thinking that, you know what? Maybe, maybe we shouldn't be relying so much on the federal government. Maybe, maybe we can do things on a smaller level 
maybe this could work. And it's like, yes, this could work. We've been trying to tell you. And we've also been trying to tell you about how government intervention in healthcare is going to cause a massive fucking problem one of these days. And the day has come. And we were right. But, you know, at least this does prove we're not crazy. But one last thing I want to address before I leave off of coronavirus, because actually, if you guys remember, we did actually have a round of primaries this week that we need to discuss. But as far as online reactions, I've been seeing kind of this all or nothing binary pop up. And I don't think this is particularly healthy. And by that, I mean this kind of all or nothing binary in where that you have people who are like, I am not leaving the house for anything. I'm, I'm shutting myself in for two weeks. And then you have people on the other end who are essentially being jerks, in my complete opinion. People who are making a point of, oh, I'm going out in public and I'm going to go eat at a restaurant and I'm going to go, I'm going to go out to crowded places because I don't care about coronavirus. And I think this is all just made up and I just want to own the libs. And it's like, you're being a jerk. Like this is not, (laughs) coronavirus exists. Like it is a serious thing. How seriously you want to take it is up to you and your own personal situation. But honestly, this, this isn't a dick measuring competition, people. What we need to be doing is not trying to virtue signal online about how good you are that you're going to stay in the house for two weeks or just how much you don't give a shit by I'm going to go out in public and just live my life because whoop de dip de doo No, we need to start having a conversation about how best one can modify their behavior to limit the exposure of yourself to other people, but not completely shutting down entirely. Because like I mentioned before, there is an economic component to this. And if people stop for a week, two weeks, three weeks, God knows how long, stop going to their local stores, stop going to their local restaurants, stop patronizing their local businesses, that is going to have a massive, massive impact on those businesses. I mean, if you don't go to Whole Foods for two weeks or Trader Joe's or your local grocery store or Walmart or Target or whatever, they're probably going to be fine. The people I worry about are like your local wing joint and your local barbecue joint and your bookstore and the little store on the corner where you buy your chips and the liquor store and just all the other various small businesses that you patronize in your community. And what I would want to do is try to figure out the best way in which to adapt behaviors so that you can limit your interaction with other humans, but still still shop at those places, still support those places financially. And I'm starting to see reports of sit-down restaurants kind of converting to drive through restaurants, um, bookstores who are basically closing down their storefront, but you can still call or email and place your order and then they'll come bring it to you curbside, like stuff like that. Like, I think that's where we need to be focusing on, not trying to score some kind of points online, but really trying to figure out like, okay, how are we going to make this through as a community without getting people sick or without losing any of our local businesses? Because that's that's a huge deal. I mean, there's people, obviously, who depend on these places for money. They work there. I mean, I don't know 
what the hell people who work in restaurants and bars are going to do if they work in a city where people can't go anymore. Like, it's a big deal. And it's something that people should think about. And just think about the fact that you do live amongst other people. And that there's, there's a lot that goes into not leaving your house for two weeks. And a lot of people aren't in a financial position to do that anyway. So people are still going to be going to work because, I mean, what choice do you have? I mean, you can't really tell the landlord, like, well, I had to self-quarantine for two weeks, so no rent for you. So, yeah, just try to think about ways that you can still live your life as uninterrupted as humanly possible, but also taking precautions to minimize your risk of catching this disease. Because obviously, I don't want anyone getting sick. I don't want anyone getting killed or permanently injured. But there is also, like I said, that economic component that we have to think about. And we have to make sure that when this is all said and done, our local businesses are still going to be there to serve their local communities. Like, that is a major concern. And that is something to really try to be cognizant of when you're making your plans on how exactly you want to address the coronavirus scare or, and God forbid, if you do get sick and, and quarantining is not an option for you, it's mandatory. Like, how exactly are you going to make it through? Like, just start thinking about it. So if the worst happens, you have a plan. And you your plan can kind of incorporate helping other people as much as you possibly can while keeping yourself and other people safe. That's all, people. Just think about the other people around you for a minute and just try to make sure that everybody stays at least as safe as humanly possible and that everybody still has a job at the end of this. So, anyway, moving on to the primaries that we had back on Tuesday of this week, which Tuesday feels like it was, I don't know two weeks ago um yeah had another round of primaries and once again joe biden was the big winner um he won idaho michigan mississippi and missouri and bernie won north dakota yikes um this is not looking very good for bernie but there have been some interesting revelations related to coronavirus that I wonder how this is really going to change the Democratic primary going forward because both Georgia and Louisiana have postponed their primary dates. Um, Georgia has actually pushed theirs back to May 19th. Theirs was supposed to be this coming week, I do believe. And Louisiana has pushed theirs all the way back to June 20th. So you already have two states. I mean, Louisiana, I don't think it's going to make that much of a difference. Georgia was kind of one everybody was watching, and now we're pushing that back. It's going to end up being over a month, about a month and a half it's being pushed back. So depending on what happens, I mean, given how much has happened in the span of the last week, I cannot begin to tell you what is going to happen in the span of the next six weeks by the time Georgia now has their primary and Louisiana and so, yeah, <laughs> this is going to throw a wrench in a lot of plans. And as far as I know, as of this recording, 
Um, the primaries that are planning to take place on the 17th are still on. And that does include Arizona, Florida, Illinois, and Ohio. So Florida is still scheduled to have their primary on the 17th. Wow. Okay. Probably too late for any of these states to reschedule because it's not something you can exactly do on a dime. What that's going to do for voter turnout, especially in Florida, where you do have a larger elderly population in the South. Woo. Um, that certainly throws a wrench in things. And I mean, Biden was kind of projected to win Florida, but now that you have people who are not going to go out to the polls, more than likely, this is going to suppress voter turnout because obviously if you're supposed to be social distancing, it's a little hard to go vote. If you have to go stand in line for a long time, that's kind of not what we're supposed to be doing. But I'm fascinated to see how and if this changes anything. I mean, I, I, ooh, I don't know. It's going to be real fascinating to watch. And I'm interested to see if any other states do end up postponing their primaries outside of Georgia and Louisiana. Those are the only two I've seen so far. We shall see what happens next week. Um, yeah. This whole past week has thrown a lot of shit into question. Especially if you want to look at the other side of the ticket. Um, going into this week, it looked like there wasn't going to be too awful much that could possibly touch Trump as far as affecting his electability. This last week has definitely poked some massive holes in it. And whether he recovers from that, I don't know. What ends up happening with the economy, I don't know. Um, depending on what happens with coronavirus and how many people kind of come to the realization that the spread of this was very much a state failure and not a market failure and that the FDA and the CDC do deserve a goodly amount of blame for why things happened the way they happened and how this administration has handled this situation. I mean, everybody compares everything to Katrina. Is this, is this Obama's Katrina? Is this Trump's Katrina? This is not a hurricane. <laughs> this is a pandemic. This could be so much worse depending on how many people fall sick and get, and die. Like this we we may we may start comparing we we may just leave off of the Katrina comparison and move on to is this so and so's coronavirus. So, I I just I don't know. This past week has just upended every damn thing that we knew from the past week and like I said, I'm still optimistic. I am not a, a doom and gloom kind of person. I I think I think we can make it through this. I think hopefully, fingers crossed, if enough people kind of get their shit together and realize that the federal government's not coming to save you and you need to save yourself. But the last thing I want to end with is that we still do have a democratic debate coming up tonight actually, the 15th. And it is still on. As of right now, it is scheduled to happen in D.C. It was going to happen in Phoenix. They moved it to D.C. There is not going to be an audience in the room. 
And one of the moderators has already dropped out due to concerns about coronavirus. So what I'm about to watch this evening, I'm not quite sure yet. What it's going to be about, I can take a wild guess. But it's just, it's so, it's so surreal now to try to parse things. I don't know, but obviously I will watch the debate and you will get a recap. Um, Due to coronavirus, I'm not entirely sure what my schedule is going to look like next week. So I'm going to try to get that up as soon as possible. I'm going to try to record it on the 16th. We shall see how that works out. But obviously, as per usual, you will get a recap. So at this point, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this one up. So if you did make it this far, thank you for listening. And if you do like this, please rate, comment, and subscribe. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and on my Patreon page. Take care and until next time.